0: Welcome to New Freedom Church. Over the next hour, we will worship together through song and hearing a message that is designed to help you grow in your faith. So please take a minute and fill out that connect form online so that we will send you a free t-shirt just like this. It is the most comfortable t-shirt you will ever wear. We wanna thank each of you who have shared our videos on Facebook, YouTube, and other social media forms because that really helps us to get more of the message out to many, many people that can benefit from the same content that you get today for absolutely free. Let's get started. Welcome back to uh, part number three on the book of James. This is the third chapter of James. Uh, If you haven't been able to join us for all the chapters, you can go back and uh, catch us online at newfc.org or you could check us out on any of our social medias they are there as well. Uh, before we get started, I just want to remind you of something very important. It's a ministry we do here every single year, and that is the Operation Christmas Blessing, the shoebox ministry. Uh, many of you have already received your box, and you're out diligently filling those boxes. And they're going to go literally around the world to bless children this year for Christmas who otherwise would not have an opportunity to receive anything. But not only the gifts do they receive in that box, but they also get... A full gospel presentation to tell them about the true reason for the season, and that is Jesus. And so uh, next Sunday is your last Sunday to be able to bring back those boxes and return those. Make sure you follow the instructions that are on there. But if you did take a box, please uh, fill that that box and bring it back in. We would certainly appreciate it. Uh, I love this uh, style of of, um, teaching so much because It allows us an opportunity to really dig deep into an entire book of the Bible, go line upon line, precept upon precept, and really drink in the pure milk of the Word. And I hope you're enjoying this as well. I I sit... Uh, each week, and I I go every uh, verse, and I kind of just see what the Lord would impress upon me, and then I consult some some Bible study tools, and and it's just, it's great to see the life change that's uh, happening as a result of this series. And, you know, this is a a style of uh, simply looking at the looking glass of God's word and reflecting back to ourselves. So when I teach this morning, I'm not asking you to uh, think about how somebody else could apply this to their life, or I wish so-and-so were here, they really needed to hear that. No, God has those who need to be here, here this morning. And so please look at this for yourself. James chapter 3, let me just start in verse 1. He says this, my brethren, and he's talking to people who have said yes to the claims of Christ on their life. He's talking to those who have said yes to the Messiah, and he's saying, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. People say, uh, you know, pastor, it looks so fun to do what you do. Or, or they might look at, at, at Nate singing and say, I, I want to do that. Or someone teaching a class. And, and I, my, my answer usually is, yeah, in, in some ways on a Sunday morning, that might look real fun or neat to do. But are you sure that you really want to do this? Are you really sure that you're signing up for something that uh, you have to understand will cause a stricter judgment or, or a higher level of scrutiny upon your life? This is something that we have to look at and say, God, have you really called me to do this kind of an instruction? Uh, the, the scripture is clear that we are all going to stand before God in judgment, that there is appointed unto man uh, a, a time to die, it's appointed unto us once to die, and after that, to face judgment. Judgment time is not something that you and I have to fear. When we said yes to Jesus, uh, he's taken our judgment. We are going to uh, have the books open and we're going to be judged for the works in this life and for uh, the words that we said. We'll get into that in just a minute. But even though all of us will have a judgment day, a time to plead our case in court, if you will, a time to set the record straight maybe... Uh, there are different levels of judgment. The scripture tells us that, that there are different levels of of how that we are going to uh, be approached when it comes to what we have been entrusted with. And if God has entrusted to you the ability to teach the word of God, then you need to do that. That is something that you cannot shake and you will not be happy until you do. But don't just launch out there and desire to be a teacher because it looks attractive or it looks like it's exciting. Make sure that God has called you to do it because James encourages us to make sure that this is true of us what God would have us to do James verse 3:2 uh, says, "For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man and also able to bridle the whole body." Look what he says: We all stumble. We all stumble in different things. And it says in many things. I don't know what your many thing is. I know I have my own stumblings. I have things that, that I'm still uh, working out my salvation with fear and trembling before God. And he says here that we all have this common path in life. And that is that we are going to trip, we're going to fall, we're going to stumble. But he tells us to be of good cheer about that. And we hearken back to uh, Jesus' words that he has already overcome this world. But he, sa- he says this interesting thing to me, that if you do not stumble in word, then you're able to bridle your entire body. That there is something that happens about the words that we say that actually orders our life. Everything else falls into order if we can get the right words in our mouth. Here's the thing you have to understand about negative words. You're the first one that hears them. Your words control the destiny of your life. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a minute. But I can, I can think of James here being the brother of Jesus. I, I shared that with you last week. This is phenomenal to me that he was the brother of Jesus. And he's writing these, these words of wisdom, uh, no doubt from some of the lessons and examples of his brother. But I can think about James uh, being this high uh, leader in the church, very well respected. He had a, a great resume. I mean, he could always drop names and say, hey, you know Jesus? Yeah, that's my bro. I, I, I grew up with him. <laughs> he taught me a few things. I taught him a few things. But I can also see and I can, I can just imagine that James, when he says we all stumble in many ways, I can imagine that James is probably in some way finding himself retelling how that the town elders were proven that even they stumbled in many things. Because as, as this woman was caught and she was brought before Jesus, he was simply riding in the dirt. And they were waiting for him to pronounce judgment on her for the acts that she had been doing all of her life. And many people knew what, what she was all about in the town. And yet, when Jesus looked up from that, that scene, he looked over and he scans the crowd and says, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible tells us this interesting thing, that from the oldest to the youngest, they began to drop their stones, and they turned away, and finally it was just this woman standing there before Jesus, and he said to her, Where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It was an illustration of how that, regardless of the spiritual level you attain to, regardless of all of your teaching your instruction your understanding your status in the faith community We all stumble in many ways and when we can understand that Then I think that there's a humility that starts to enter into our heart that we are a little more gracious With one another because after all isn't that what we want? We talked about it last week. Mercy triumphs over judgment Don't we want mercy? I do and so when we want mercy, we have to be merciful people this next section of james, uh Talks about the tongue and it harkens back to chapter one. And, and I hate this picture, but I just have to show you this picture because it is, it, hate maybe is too strong a language, but it just is so true. This picture is what I think of when I think of a gossiping tongue. And I, I think that no doubt James had his own uh, trial and probably had, had been around some church gossip. He was a leader of, of the early church and there was some gossip, no doubt, that he was dealing with. And so, Proverbs 18 and 21 tells us that the power of life and death is where? In the tongue. It's based upon the words that you say. The power of life or the power of death are contained in your tongue. And, And here's what he says. He says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Think about such a large animal as a horse. And it can be turned, and it can be manipulated, and it can be told where to go just simply by the bit that's in its mouth. But when you pull back a little bit, it's going to have a response. Simply by a bit in its mouth. Look also at ships. Although they were so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned with a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. So a ship in this day was the largest uh, means of mass transportation that they knew. Many people could board a ship and they could, they could sail away and, and go at a faster speed than you could by just riding a horse somewhere. You could get there a lot faster. But he's saying this, take a, the large animal as a horse or a, a big seafaring ship and know that just a small rudder or a little bit, something the size maybe of your tongue can control the entire direction of that horse or of that ship. So you and I can be navigated in our life by our words, by what we say, and that your entire body will follow suit, will, will line up. And I don't know about you, but, but there are some times where Joe Schutz just has to do some self-talk. David said it like this, I will encourage myself in the Lord. When nobody else is encouraging me, sometimes I just have to get into the scriptures and I have to find something that I can say that God has already said. Because if I say what I think, then I am responsible for backing that up. But if I find in here what God said, then I can say, You're not a man that you should lie. Your arm is not slack. You will do what you said you will do. And so I have to do a little self-talk. I have to encourage myself in the Lord. And and by the words of my mouth, my life is being ordered. And by the words that you say about yourself and that you're speaking over your family and speaking over your situation, your words are also ordering your life. Look at verse 5. He says, even so the tongue, again, we're talking about this, this part of our body that, uh, maybe isn't as noticeable from a visible standpoint, but is is very real with us all the time. So your tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. If you just turn on the the news, you can see that out in the west, there are are great wildfires uh, just ravaging entire forest. And it started with just a small spark just somebody's little campfire that was smoldering, that they thought that they put out, just a small little fire, and before long, thousands and thousands of acres are burning. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. Think about it. He now personifies uh, th- this, this fire with, with the uh, events of your tongue. So the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. We just talked about that. And is set on fire by hell. The tongue is set on fire by hell. So what is the tongue? What's well, boastful. The tongue is fire. The tongue is a world of iniquity. It defiles, or in other words, it corrupts. It can corrupt the entire body. It can alter the course of how things should be in the natural. So we can take that positive or we can take that negative. If the tongue can kindle a fire and start bad things, then also with good words, the tongue can start good activity. It can have good effects upon our life. And the tongue, it says, is influenced or is an agent of hell. Now the word hell here, and there's multiple words uh, translated hell in the Bible, by the way, but the word hell here is Gehenna. And Gehenna in first century Israel was a a refuge or a dumping spot on the mountainside just outside of the city of Jerusalem. You see, in their day, they didn't have waste management or rumpke to come and pick up their their trash. So what they would do is they would burn it. And there would be this continual burning on the hillside, and it was the place called Gehenna. It's an actual physical location. You could actually go there today. It's not a dump anymore, but they have built buildings on it. But Gehenna was the place of burning. It was the place of refuse. And he's saying that your tongue can operate as an agent of Gehenna or an agent of burning, an agent of hell. Many of you know that earlier this year I had the privilege to go to Honduras and to minister uh, in a a conference down there to the Honduran people. And the thing that I noticed immediately when we flew in and we landed in their airport was how beautiful that this tiny country is. There's only about 10 million people that live there, about the population, a little bit smaller even than, than Ohio. Uh, but yet it's nestled in in these little hillsides, and it's so beautiful. And just to look at the lush, uh, 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 undefiled land that they have, it's so pretty. But yet I noticed something very different in my experience at nightfall. We were driving down the road. We were heading back to the place where we were going to stay, and the sun was going down, and I started smelling this nauseous smell, these, these nauseous fumes. And it wasn't just for a little while, but everywhere we went, and I asked the, the guide, I said, what is that smell? And, and, and there's, there's like smoke rising over here and over there. That smoke wasn't there earlier today. And he said, oh, that's easy. They're burning their trash. This beautiful land in the daytime, which was so pristine and so pleasant, became a pugnant, repugnant smell at nighttime because they were burning their refuse. And if you're not careful, your tongue can be operated as and used as an agent of burning. And what looks to be so beautiful in your life during the daytime, in the nighttime of our talk, or in the the darkness of our hour of of gossip, can set on fire something that is repugnant, not only to those around you, but also, I would say, to the nostrils of God. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed And has been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You know, James is really not mincing any words here about our talk, is he? He's really getting very specific to us about the power that we have in the words that we say. And you know that every one of us will give account for the idle words that we've said. That's what the scripture says. That we should be careful. And, and he talked in the last chapter that we should be slow to speak and what? Quick to listen. You have two ears. You have one mouth. You should do double the listening as you do the talking. And I say, oh me. Because preachers like to talk. We like to give answers. We like to give solutions. But it's vital that we listen and that we hear. You see, what he's saying here is that mankind has dominion and authority over the planet. Over everything except Left to ourselves, we cannot even tame our own tongue. Isn't that a travesty? That we can tame animals of the sea, we can tame animals, and we can have dominion over this entire earth, but if we're not careful and left to ourselves, we cannot even tame our very own tongue. And that's why it takes the intervention of the Holy Spirit in our lives to check us. It takes the the Holy Spirit impressing upon us and, and teaching us and talking to us and, and, and maybe sometimes restraining us to think twice before we say what we're going to say. Now, I know some of you, you see these memes that float around, and, and you don't share every meme, but, but there's one I saw this week went right with my message, and I just it was worthy of sharing. And, and uh, the, the meme said, uh, the person's pointing, they said, I speak in tongues, so I'm spiritual. And then the answer said, yeah, but you gossip in English. <laughs> If we're not careful, we can get so heady and high-minded about our spiritual walk or think because we attend church or because we teach a class or because we're on a, a certain uh, a team or we're, we're part of something that we somehow have attained to a, a spiritual level and we no longer need this kind of thing. And James is saying, listen, this is going to be with you all life long. There is going to be this desire in you to to speak out of turn. There is going to be this that, that creeps up on the inside of you. And left to yourself, you can't tame your tongue. It only happens through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The other thing I would say about our tongues, especially in this day and age, is that in the 21st century, your keyboard is an extension of your tongue. And people get keyboard confidence when they can easily, scathingly give a review online or they can can fire off an email. But I would share with you that your words, typed or written, are just as powerful as your words spoken. Someone will say about a celebrity, well, just the other day they said thus and so. Well, they didn't really hear them say that, they read it on a blog post. And so our keyboards, what we write, are an extension of our tongue because someone will attribute what you wrote, to what you said. Be careful what you say. You're going to give account for those words. And if you can tame that tongue, then you have mastered something that not too many people have been able to master. Verse 13, he asked this question, who is wise and understanding among you? Remember, this is a wisdom book of the New Testament. So James asked this question. And, and how many knows that even in the, the, the life of Jesus, you know, earthly ministry, whenever he would ask a question, most of the time it was a setup. It's like, be careful when you walk into these, trying to answer these questions quick. So James says, okay, okay, okay. Who among you is wise and has understanding? And I could just imagine if he's teaching this in a synagogue that a couple people are, are starting to really feel good about the answer to this. But then he says, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness and wisdom but now here is the caveat here is the the turning point but if you have bitter envy and I highlighted that in blue because I wanted you to see that this is actually one thing not just envy but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts do not boast and lie Against the truth. In other words, there's no wisdom and there's no understanding that you're operating in if you have bitter envy and self seeking. Now, let's just break something down here because we hear the word envy in our day and age and we think that that's a bad word. And it could be, but it may not be. It's kind of like the word lust. We hear the word lust and we always associate it with something sexual. But lust defined is simply strong desire. So, lust is not a bad word, lust is not a bad thing. There is such thing as having a lust for life. You you look at that little newborn baby, that little child that that just gets born, and and there is a a strong desire to breathe and to live that they actually cry. They cry out because they're hungry. They cry out because they need change. They cry out because they have a lust for life. And so lust is not in and of itself a bad word. It's what we associate with it or what we tag onto it. Same with envy. Envy in and of itself is not a bad word. But envy is both a noun and a verb. Let's look at the noun of envy. Envy as a noun is bad because it's a feeling of discontent or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. So get someone in your mind that you've always looked up to, someone that always had all the breaks, somebody that always had everything go good for them. And if you're not careful, you can fall into the category of wishing to be them or wishing that you had their stuff. And it's not just their stuff, it could be their appearance, it could be the success that they walk in, or that they're always so lucky. You know what was said about Michael Jordan, who I believe was the greatest basketball player of all time, and you can, you can debate me if you want, but Michael Jordan, so it was said of Michael Jordan that he would go in early and he would practice free throws, and he would shoot some days a thousand free throws. And one of the new players came on the team, of the Chicago Bulls, and they said, Michael, Why is it that you practice so many free throws? You're one of the best players in the league. In fact, you hardly ever miss a free throw. And here's what he said. I have found that the more I practice, the luckier I get on the court in the game. I wonder if it is the more that we read God's word, the more that we practice his presence, the more that we practice being the person that he's called us to be, that what others attribute as luck, it's really just simply a matter of having exercised ourselves to the point of the right response when the opportunity hits. Because each and every one of us are gonna be tempted to say the wrong thing. We're gonna be tempted to speak out of turn. We're gonna be tempted to do what what we want to do or, or to go in our own path. But God has given us his precious Holy Spirit to guide and direct and lead us. And so envy as a noun is a bad thing. Looking at someone as just being lucky, maybe they worked really hard to get where they are. But envy as a verb Can be a good thing. Envy as a verb is to desire a quality, a possession, or an attribute belonging to someone else. Then, and Webster gives dictionary gives this example: He envied people who didn't have to work on the weekends. That was, that was actually something that Webster said. So envying somebody that don't have to work on a weekend just means that, hey, you know what? I am going to try to get all my work done during the week so I don't have to work on the weekend. So envy as a verb is not necessarily a bad thing. But at the root of envy is desire. Please, please follow the scripture here. At the root of envy is desire or even admiration. You might admire something about somebody else and really want to be like them and try to to mimic or try to attain to that level. Nothing wrong with that necessarily as long as you're you're not denying your own gifting and and being mad at God for what he didn't give you. It is not envy that is our problem, but when mixed with self-seeking, that's when it becomes explosive. Look what it says. It says that when you have bitter envy, so it's not just envy, but it's bitter envy, and self-seeking, where? Where? in your heart. And here's the, the, the correlation that Jesus says about the words we speak in our heart. He says, out of the abundance of your heart does your mouth speak. If you want to know what's really in someone's heart, just listen to the words they're saying. They'll tell you. Now, they may do it in the form of a joke. You know, you've, you've had someone that, that gives you that backhanded compliment, and then they, at the end they say, I was just joking. No, but you need to know based on James' is, I was just telling the truth in a joke form. I was just turning it around. And so out of the abundance of our heart, what is in our heart? Is there bitter envy and self-seeking there? Because if there is, then this is what happens. Verse 16, for where envy and self-seeking exist. See how he plays on those two again? He reiterates this because this is the formula. It's not just envy by itself, but when you couple it with a bitter envy and with self-seeking, confusion and every evil thing is there. Think about some of your personal relationships. Think about some relationships you're in now and some that you've, you've traveled through and maybe you're no longer in those relationships. When there starts to be confusion and there starts to be evil things, something evil is twisted when it's, it's not straight and narrow, but when it's twisted, I'll bet that you could probably go back to the root of that and you can find some form of self-seeking, some form of trying to angle to get your way, and some form of envy. Now, here's the way I've seen this played out, is that people who admire you, they desire to draw close to you. They, they want to get close and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's a lot of times how friendships form. That's a lot of times how we are closer to one family member than we are another family member. And, and we have circles of, of friends. And so when people admire you and they want to get close to you, they do that with a pure motive most of the time in the beginning. But as someone gets closer to you, they start to see that you too, believe it or not, have flaws. Because we all have flaws. And when they see that you have those flaws, if they're not careful, this envy or this desire, this admiration that they had for you can come up into the place of a resentfulness or why is she so lucky? Why does she have it so good? Why does she have that position? I'm really just as good as her. And if they really knew how she was, then they wouldn't give her that kind of accolade anyway. And the bitter envy and self seeking can actually break relationships. Family members who used to be close, no longer close. But at the root of that envy was really an admiration to begin with of something that they liked about you. And Because it's confusing that they can't figure out how that you walk in that and how that you are still blessed in that way, they snip and they nick and they they talk and there's this this self-seeking that enters in. And what happens is confusion comes in every evil thing. So really, some of the qualities that they want to obtain for themselves or they see themselves walking and they already see in you, it's an admiration And this should set you free from from some relationships that maybe you're not even understanding. How did that go south? How did did that unravel? I didn't intend any of that to happen. Well, maybe it was that there was bitter envy and self-seeking that got involved in the mix, caused confusion, and then there was every evil thing. But here's the encouragement I would give you. Don't hate back. Don't stay separated, but rather seek the things which are above because if we're not careful, we could use our tongue to retaliate against those that have fallen out or those that, that have spoken ill of us. We want to use our tongue to retaliate back. But here's what he says in verse 17. It says, but the wisdom that is from above. So he's talking about godly wisdom. James, the book of wisdom literature in the New Testament is talking about godly wisdom. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. So how do we know if our wisdom or the way we're approaching something is pure. Well, you really have to go to the Lord in prayer. You have to purify your own motives. You have to lay yourself out before the cross. It's first pure, then peaceable. It's gentle, willing, get this, willing to yield. That means you don't always have to have your way. Sometimes it's okay to give the other person their way. It's full of mercy And good fruits. He's hearkening back to the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. So it's full of mercy. I'm going to be willing to yield. I'm going to operate in the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. I'm going to operate in the things which are from above. And then it says, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So I'm not going to show one person this this wonderful side of my mercy while I show another, this harsh side of my judgment. No, I am going to look from above. I'm going to purify this. And when we gain God's wisdom from above, here's what the result will be. When you operate in those things in verse 17, you will be operating in honor. Now, let me share with you a little bit about honor. It's actually one of the core values here at New Freedom Church. Honor. We honor God and one another. This is vital when we truly look at people as being created in the image and likeness of God, then we can more easily honor people. We can, we can walk in, in a place of esteem with people. And here's the thing about honor is that honor will grant access. When, when someone honors you, they have access to your circle, they have access to your life. And with access comes influence. When someone has access to the inner room, the inner circle, and they're sitting at the table, then they can influence things about your life. And from influence comes life change. So it first starts with honor, walking as an honorable person. And you can't walk honorably until you honor God in your life and in your words. And once you do that, then you can honor people. And when people know that you've honored them, and and you can tell, you really get the sense of whether someone honors you or not. When you can tell, then they'll give you access into their life. You know, that's a precious thing. That's what we call relationship. When we get into a relationship with someone, when we can really truly bear our heart to them, when we can tell them what's on our mind. You won't have a hundred people in your life that, that you can do that with, but, but every one of us should have a few people that really can, can have that access to, to speak the truth in love to us. And that's the difference, is speaking the truth in love. Because then there will come this influence that will result in life change. And that's vital. That's so important. Look at verse 18. It says, now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Are you a peacemaker? Jesus said you're blessed if you're a peacemaker. He says that you have an inheritance on the other side as you make peace. And when we operate in the virtues of verse 17, not only do we make peace, but here's the benefit. We receive peace. And the, the thing that all of us want, I believe, is we want peace. We don't want war. We don't want fighting. We want peace. But you will never have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, until you first made peace with God. And that's so vital. So with heads bowed and no one looking around, just between you and the Lord this morning, I wonder if you have been challenged just a little bit by this text in James. He, he goes on to say that bitter and sweet water don't come out of the same fountain. We cannot bless God whom we've never seen with our lips and then curse our brothers and sisters who were made in the likeness of God in the same phrase. And so if you want peace, if you need peace today, maybe it's time to surrender some of your talk to God. Maybe it's time just simply to ask that peace that peace which surpasses all understanding let it guard your heart and mind today if that's you and you need some peace in your life I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and take it right back down maybe you're watching us online you want the peace of God you just reach your hand towards this screen and let's pray together Father today I thank you for the peace speaker I thank you for Jesus our Savior our Lord God I pray that you would bring a peace to our heart That we would be able to fully experience the joy of knowing that we have things made right with you. That our debt has been eliminated because of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. And God, we want the peace that surpasses all understanding today. And we make peace with you. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. I am so excited about what we have planned for next week. But before then, would you take a minute and go to the video description and either leave us a review or click on one of those links for all the information available. And one last thing, your generosity really does make a difference. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, which enables us to reach even more people with the gospel? God bless.